Why? Why is acceptance so huge? Why is it so powerful? For John, it started really young. And this idea of being accepted by a father was based on so many conditions. And John is a great guy. But John found out that that perfection was so hard to get. And even when he thought he got it, he still didn't receive the thing that he desperately, desperately wanted. He was still not good enough. And for John, that left him fearful and anxious and depressed. And maybe your story is filled with some of the same themes of rejection and anxiety or fear or depression. My story has some of those themes. But for me, true acceptance didn't come from a great father-in-law, although I have one. Um, I do. Uh, acceptance, true acceptance for me actually started from a knock, a little tiny baseball bat, and a big wad of masking tape. I might get to that story. But today we look at why rejection and why acceptance is so powerful and what God did about it and what that means for us today. And so the first question is, you know, why would a good God, and a lot of people say this, they say, why would an all-powerful, loving God let rejection and pain come into this world? And, and I always just wait because usually a person who says that has their own version of what that looks like. And so I often will just stop and say, well, why do you ask the question? Because often there's a question behind the question that we have to hear. We can't just jump to say, um, oh, this is the answer. We need to hear and stop and listen. But oftentimes, when I do get around to listening, and then when I do get around to talking, I say, I believe that there's a God who didn't create those things, didn't intend for those things to be created, but he was a good God that created a good creation. And yet, in his love, he knew that love had to be a choice. To love and have it to be true love, there has to be an option to reject that. And so sin or evil entered the world and Satan entered the world and humans rejected God's love. And they turned their backs on God. And because we're human and because our minds are really good but, but often not divine, not all-powerful, we tend to put like human constructs on how to understand God. And so we often think that God would respond the way we would respond when we get rejected. And that is, when we have this disagreement and we come um, miles apart and there's this offense, we think that God stands in his place and he's like, you're the one who moved, you're the one who rejected me, so I'm just going to wait here until you, dis- you figured out that I was right and you were wrong. And he just stands and he waits. And if you never come, well, then he just stands there disapprovingly, like John felt his dad did so much. But that's not the story of the God that we see in the Bible. The story of God that we see in the Bible is that he instituted at that very, very moment that rejection entered the world and and pain entered the world. At that very moment, God started this grand restoration project and he pursued people. 
He pursued people that disobeyed him. He pursued people that were imperfect. He pursued humans who said yes to him and then immediately said no. He even chose someone who wasn't perfect, but he chose someone to have a special relationship with, that he could have a special people, a nation, if you will, Israel, to not just have this place to say, ooh, look, we're in the special relationship with God, but to say, with you, I want to bless the entire world, every nation, to be blessed. God wanted to redeem and still wants to redeem everything, everything, especially everyone. And so, so Jesus came on the scene and, and he was thought and believed, and I believe that he was this perfect picture of God. And he came on the scene and he went to the nearest city, the biggest city, the central city of the world, Jerusalem. And he sat on like the busiest street corner at the best bunch stop, bus stop and said, I'm God, just so you guys know, and Jesus loves you. God loves you, God loves you, and you, he loves you too, and you in the corner, if you shape up, he loves you. Uh, It's almost time for lunch, but, you know, I just want you to know God loves you, and I'll be back in an hour after lunch, and I'll sit on this bench again and say, God loves you. But he didn't do that. He didn't sit on the bench stop and tell people. He showed them. He went to people that the higher class people rejected. He went to people that the higher status people said, no, I'm sorry, you're not allowed here. He even went to the people that the lowest in society rejected the people lower than them. He even went to those people and he befriended them and he accepted them. He accepted the outcasts that that the religious society said, no, you're not allowed in here. He rejected the foreigners who, who spoke differently and looked differently, and he said, no, you're welcome here. He rejected, or he accepted the weak and the sinner. And he didn't just like perform miracles and then walk away. He didn't give like a casual compassion. He actually chose 12 people who were not perfect, who were anywhere, anywhere close to perfect. And he lived in this, I'm, I'm making up a new word today, common unity. He lived in a common unity, a community with these followers. And they abandoned him, and he still didn't reject them. And and we're coming up to Easter, and we celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And that is like the climax of the restoration story. It's not based on our efforts. It's not based on our goodness. It's based on his love and his his movement towards us and his death and his resurrection that break the chains of fear and abandonment and, and rejection. And isn't that, to me, that's good news. Can I get an amen? amen. We're, not a, we're not really, you know, we're trying, but. <laughs> so we have this good news, we have this amen, and yet if you look at your life and I look at my life and I go, gosh, it's not pain-free. And I still experience rejection. And I still experience hurt. And so what's that about if, if this climax of this restoration happened? Well, that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus gave his spirit to his followers and they began the church. And so if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it. It's going to be on the screen. But maybe you'll hear something today that will cause you to circle, write down, take a note, or go, you know what, I've read this. Maybe you've read it before and I've never seen that before. Because there's just this beautiful picture of what, what Jesus' followers were supposed to be and what they were supposed to do. So let me pray. 
God, we believe that even though your word is thousands of years old, that it's, it's still true today and it's active and living and we can read it rightly and, and you can speak to us. So I pray that you would in the moments that we have um, as we've celebrated with food and celebrated with song that we would now celebrate um, what you taught and that we would hear today from you. So Holy Spirit, speak to us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, um, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Aren't those like awesome verses? I mean, I think they're just beautiful. And, and when you hear the word church, do you think of these verses? When you talk to your friends and ask them, like, what do you think of when I say the word church? Let's do a word association game. Church. Do they go, beautiful? Or when you say church, do they go, accepting? Or, or church, oh man, those people just know how to love. Because those aren't the first three that I associate. That's not the first three that my friends think of. And at 13, I learned that the Bible must not be true because we got to get out of school like an hour early to go, to go read it um, in this little town. And so my little group uh, of people that I went to this church with would kind of tease or ignore me all the way there. And then we would sit and read the Bible with the pastor and then they would kind of be neutral to me. And then we would leave, and then they would either ignore me or tease me. So I said, there's no way that this can actually make a difference by the way that these people live. That was the start of my story. And I tried and tried and tried like John to be perfect. I thought, man, if I could just, if I could just be better, maybe I would be accepted. And yet, I never got better. I never got good enough. So imagine for a moment, let's play an imagination game, that you've never heard the word church before. That that word has just been erased from all our vocabularies and all we had was the New Testament. We had these verses to like look at and some around it to go to try and figure out what this, what this word means. So I'm in a conversation with someone and, and he walks up to me and I say, Hey Joe, how you doing? I don't know why Joe. Hey Joe. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I just got done with this really cool gathering. It was amazing. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. What was it? Well, it was, it was this gathering. And Well, was it a concert? No, not really. Um, well, describe it to me. Okay, well, they, these people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Whoa, 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 stop there. Who's they? Um, well, uh, okay, let's, let's look at the verses. We have to go back over from 42 to 41. It says, oh, those who accepted the message. What message? Uh, well, there's this guy, Peter, who said repent. What does that word mean? What does repent mean? Uh, repent means to uh, change your mind. It means that instead of making um, 
the Jewish law Lord of your life, or t- instead of making the Roman Caesar Lord of your life, or instead of making yourself as Lord of your life, you're making Jesus the Lord of your life. Okay, okay, so who accepted? Well, we have to go all the way back to verse 5 to figure that out. It says that those who were staying in Jerusalem were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 7, they asked, Are these people not Galileans? How is it that they're speaking a language we can understand? Because we're all from all over the world. We're Parthians, we're Medes, we're Elamites, we're residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, all these strange names and all these strange places. That's who they were. It was a multinational, multi-ethnic mixture of people. It was people that had started to understand who Jesus was long ago. It was people who just started to figure out who Jesus was. It was this huge, diverse group of people. No one was exactly the same. That's who they were. Okay. Now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So it wasn't just this intellectual agreement, okay, Jesus is like really important and, uh, and I should believe in him. It was that these people that, were, that had been with Jesus were teaching them that they, they wanted to not just accept who Jesus was, they didn't just want to accept these teachings, they wanted to accept these people and have these people accept them. One, one writer put it, to embrace Christ was to embrace the community of Christ. And so it was this, this individualized relationship with Jesus wasn't really truly existent in that time. And then those who followed were accepted. Like the best picture of adoption. I, 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 love, I love the idea and I hate the idea that, that this gathering would be described as family. I love the idea because family is supposed to be brothers and sisters and people that you know no matter what, they're going to be there for you. But unfortunately, not all of us, and unfortunately very few of us, have experienced family like that. But if we had never experienced that, if we could picture the ideal kind of family, that's what it would be. And the, the reason that, that I love the adoption picture is because you get to choose adoption. Like, sometimes I used to wonder if I was, was delivered by the milkman because my, I was so strange and felt kind of weird in my family. And, and I knew they were stuck with me. But then I had friends who were adopted, and it's like, that was so cool because their parents chose them. And they often paid for them. And... And, and, and I have so many good friends who have adopted children. And, and the best part about it isn't just that they chose them, but it's that they know and I know and I think those children know that without a doubt, there is no difference between a birth child and an adopted child. As soon as they're in the family, it's like they're in the family. They get everything that any other child would get. They get the same rights. They get the responsibilities. They get the inheritance. They get everything. And so they never have to question that. And that's the picture that this 
church is supposed to have. This voluntary but adopted, chosen family. John found that in his family. His children have found that in their family. Grandparents don't make any difference to say, well, gosh, you're not related by blood. Actually, they are the blood of Jesus, not the blood of themselves. They're completely related by family. They, that's why I think these verses in verses 43 and 44 are so powerful because they're related by the blood of Christ, so they have something in common. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. So as one person put it, they're not communists, they're communists. Big difference. They owned their possessions, but they held them like this. We talk about this a lot in our family. Um, We won't name which people in our family, but it's not the dog or my wife. Um, they held their things like this. They held it with an open hand. It was in their hand, and it's theirs to keep or give away. But they also not only had an open hand, they had open eyes to ask God, seeing if there's a need. And they had open ears to hear if there was a need. I don't know if, if this is hard for you, to walk around with your stuff and your life like this. And like this, and like this. Sometimes I can do it, other times I can't. When I walk downtown and I see a homeless person that's begging for money, it's really hard for me to go like this, and like this, and like this all the time. If I can buy them something to eat, it's generally easier for me to do this. If I think, oh gosh, God, you know, I don't know, they might, they might spend it on the wrong thing. I just, I don't God doesn't ask me to go down that road. He asks me to go like this. He asks these people, that's what they're doing. They're going like this. And if they voluntarily want to give that away, it's much easier to give away than if they say, mine. That, That wasn't there. That's why we have giving boxes and um, boxes on the table because we always want to keep an open hand to say what it means to be church is this. But we're never going to force you to give. We're never going to guilt you to give, but we believe that there's a mission worth investing in that a restored relationship with God and being a restorative, authentic community and going out into the world and doing things like the buck bag bonanza and other um, giving things like that is to restore things that are broken in the world. We think that's worth investing in, but we'll never force. But we'll always offer because this is the best way to live. Jesus says, unless you're mine, you can't follow me. You've got to live like that. One final piece of the ideal gathering is that in these last couple verses, every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and they praised God and they enjoyed the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, a few people ask me like, okay, wait, so there's going to be brunch, but it's going to be church. But it's going to be brunch. But you're going to do church. Like, I don't get that. And, and I, I read these verses and I think, well, why? Because that's what this kind of ideal picture, if we'd never heard the word church before, if we had no other things attached to it, we would read this and go, and I granted it's the ideal picture, and we'll talk about that in a second. But when you eat with someone, 
when you share around a table, don't you get a window into who they are? Much better than just sitting side by side and facing a stage, you do. You know you're in with someone when they're like, you know, come over for dinner and then really see how we live. It's, it's, it was true then. It was very true then. I think it's still partially true today. We see hospitality, we see service, and we see this gateway to love. We see this gateway to acceptance. But so my final question, what does this mean for today? What does this mean for us today? Because most of us have heard the word church. So if we move out of la-la land, we go, well, I've heard church, and it's often portrayed in a pessimistic way. We even spent lots of time as we were agonizing last year over God calling us to start this church, if we would call it a church, because of how difficult some people have with those words. But we decided that, no, we don't want to feel like people are going to get a bait and switch. You know, we are trying to be the ideal, the best church that God can give us to be. This, this community that would be an accepting, true community. This community that believes, like, like Galatians 3.28, that says, now because of Christ, there is, no, there is no Jew or Greek, meaning race doesn't matter. And there is no slave or free, meaning class and the status that you live in doesn't matter. And men or women, meaning gender roles, don't matter. We're all one in Christ. We're common in Christ. Some people say it like this, the ground is level at the cross. When we come to Christ, we don't look at each other in this vertical way to say, I'm above you or you're below me or we've got to figure out where that status line is. We just say, hello, my name is. What's your story? That's the picture that we're trying to have. And wouldn't it be cool if people heard about the fun and the spirit-led things that we did and they started hearing about the life groups that we're in and how we laugh together and cry together and pray together and learn together and serve together. And, and wouldn't it be cool if people, when they heard the word Restoration Church, they went, wow, those people have fun together. Or Restoration wow, like those people, they know how to love. Or wow, those people... they're they're like a benefit to this community. Because that's my dream. That's what I want. That's what I'm asking God for us. So there's flowers on your table. There's cookies, I think back there. No, out there. There's cookies out there. Um, There's little cards at your table. Because maybe you need to be that door. Maybe you need to be the open hand. I'm not forcing you, I'm inviting you that open hand to go to someone who thinks church is like this and that God is like this. And you need to say, no, 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 no. That isn't what it was supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying that the first church was perfect. It wasn't. There was lying and hypocrisy and there's, if we had time, we'd go into all those chapters. But maybe by bringing these flowers to someone, maybe by bringing these cookies to someone to just go, you know what? I'm glad you're in my life, and I just wanted to let you know, like, we're a church, and, and we're about trying to, trying to show a picture of who God really is in Jesus. Just wanted you to know. Maybe that will be the time that somebody hears, like I did, the acceptance, the first step. There was a knock at my door. I was 14 years old. 
I just spent the last year saying there's no way that God could be true. There's no way the Bible could be true because I've never seen anyone live it. There's this lanky, like 14-year-old that's 5'9". I'm 4'11". Um, he's got a mullet, you know, blonde hair, glasses. And he's like, hi, I'm Brian. You want to play knee baseball? I'm like, what is knee baseball? And I don't have, I have one friend. And so if friends are like currency, I have no money, which means I have no value. Why would you even be over here? Ask me, that's what I believed. Because like John, I hadn't really seen unconditional acceptance. And Brian's like, oh, I'll show you how to play. Like you just moved in, right? I'm like, yeah, we have this big empty room. Perfect. And so for two hours, we're in like this 15 by 15 room, like batting this wad of tape All around the room, we had paper plates as bases. I had bruises on my knees for weeks. It was the most fun I ever had at 14 years old. Brian said, have you ever heard of The Legend of Zelda? I know I'm totally either dating myself one way or the other. I'm like, for the original Nintendo. Do you ever heard of The Legend of Zelda? I'm like, oh, yeah. You have a Nintendo? Like, I bought an Atari, like, and then the next year, Nintendo. And I'm like, oh. It's like, yeah, let's come over. I mean, we wasted their parents' power so much because we'd, leave the te- we'd save it and leave it on for hours and hours and try and beat this game, and I wasn't very good, and he was really good. And then he's like, have you ever heard of Def Leppard? And you know, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm like, no, what's that? He's like, it's heavy metal. I'm like, cool. And he's like, so we joined the Def Leppard fan club, and we had pins that we put on our jean jacket. I mean, we were complete nerds, but... And those things weren't even about Jesus. But here's what was about Jesus. Like several months later, Brian tells me he's a Christian. And Brian tells me that even though church is kind of boring in this town, his pastor's really cool. And Brian starts inviting me to their house. And I get to see how his parents like pray at not just Sunday meals, but like all meals. And how they care for each other. And it helped that his sister was older and cute. But... I just have to tell you the whole, just total disclosure. Just want to be honest. It did help. But two years later, when someone came into my life and said, did you know that God loves you and he accepts you just as you are? If I would have heard that two years before that, before Brian, I would have said, there's no way. Because the God that I see is this God that teases you and then only accepts you on Sundays, or only accepts you if you're at church. And Brian showed me that there was a God that could accept at any moment, regardless of of what we were doing or who we were. And I said yes to God, because Brian said yes to me first. That's what accepting community means. That's what it means, I think. Sorry, I'm getting all emotional. But that's what I think it means to be the church. The best version of the word church. So when you go out into your lives, and if you've been around and you've, you've been at churches and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, these people, they just, they're hypocrites. They just pretend to be all perfect. We are not perfect, trust me. You can read it right there. It shows where our mistakes are. And we don't glorify those mistakes. We glorify the one who heals them. We glorify the one who conquered those mistakes, who said, I'm going to erase those mistakes and I'm inse- instead I'm going to see you as a person. That's what we do. May you find 
the Jesus that has arms like this, that is saying, my love is enough for you. I love you. I accept you. And if you've never heard of that Jesus, we would love to tell you about him. I'm going to pray. We're going to have some music that comes on. You're welcome to stay, but uh, I want to dismiss you in a second. So let's go to the Lord. God, I thank you for, for your work in John Steiner, for your work in my friend, someone that I would call my brother, who is not related to me by blood, but is related to me by your blood who we have this common unity in you, Jesus. I thank you for my friend Brian, who showed me what acceptance was when he didn't have to, when the only people that really loved me were my parents, and I thought that was because they had to. Lord, we could go around the room and we could hear stories of love, but we could hear stories of rejection over and over and over. God, I pray that we would hear from you today that you love us, that you are in those moments of pain, that you are so close to us when we are isolated and lonely and broken, when no one else is around for us and we feel completely abandoned, that you are there with us, God. You are there in the joy and you're there in the pain. And you're a God who runs all the way across the field when there's pain, when there's been brokenness, when there's been a break in the relationship. You run to restore that. The cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection tell us that, and that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate how great you are, God, even though we're not. We celebrate how great you are and that it's not dependent on us, but it is so much because of you. I just pray for those in the room that have never, never heard the word church like the Bible has described it here. It's not perfect, but it is the ideal, and and the writer wanted to let us know that. I pray that we could be that. Not for our own glory, God, but to show the world who you truly are in Christ. I just pray for those who um, need to know more, need to experience Jesus, your love today, need to know that you accept with open arms, with just a change of mind, to say, I'm no longer in charge, The hate is no longer in charge. The abandonment is no longer in charge. The rejection is no longer in charge. You, Jesus, can be in charge of my life and that will forever change me. God, we pray that this week, these things that we deliver into people's homes, this step of faith, this step of maybe courage to go up to someone and offer a gift, a free gift. God, that you would be at work in those people that need to receive that today. Give us boldness, to humbly do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful 